You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin today by calling in the helping spirits. So I begin first to call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to all of those people who were here on the earth, uh, who lived well, who died well, who met the challenges of their time in a good way, who grew and transformed and changed, who were confronted by things that frightened them and found a way to move through that fear and restore a place of balance and harmony in their lives. I call out to these ancestors and ask them to gather around us here today to bring to us the rich legacy that is ours, that comes to us through these ancestral lines, that we might be supported by those who have gone before us, that we might learn from their mistakes, that we might be inspired and empowered by those things they did well, and that we might take these gifts and take them on into the next step, the next expression, the next evolution of possibility here on earth. And so I call out to these ancestors to gather round us, and I give great gratitude for their presence with us here today. And let us move our awareness from wherever it might be into our heads, and from our heads to our hearts, from our hearts to our bellies, and from our bellies, let us reach down and touch the earth. Let us take a moment to remember the gratitude that we feel for this day for this life, for your body, and for the possibility inherent in each day for change and transformation. We give thanks for the fact that we are breathing, and because we are breathing, we are able to change. We are able to grow. We are able to make things anew. So we give great gratitude for the generosity and the beauty of this earth, for the great diversity all around us, and for the possibility to continue to change and to heal and to grow. And we give thanks for the miracle of life that we share with so many things here on the face of this earth. So with great gratitude to the earth, great understanding of our interrelationship and need for this home, for this place, let us reach down through all the layers of the earth, all the way down into the very center, and touch in the center of the earth this place of darkness, place of stillness, place of silence, but also this place of restoration and rejuvenation that comes from connecting into the energies of pure potential, things not yet in form. We touch into this energy in the center of the earth and draw the earth energy up, just like drawing up crystal clear, fresh water into the life of your day. We call this energy up to renew and restore and replenish to help us to settle into ourselves in a place of accountability and responsibility, to be dependable, not only in our own lives, but to those that we are connected to. 
So with the energy of the earth moving into our bodies, we choose to be grounded and we use this energy to reach down to the center of the earth and choose to be in this body on this planet at this time and cultivate that sense of groundedness. We give thanks to the energy of the earth as we use it to understand connection and interconnection and ultimately the oneness of all things. We expand out into that oneness, even if just for a moment, so that we might set and calibrate right relationship with ourself, and then right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the spirit world. And we have gratitude for the earth for helping us to understand the interconnectedness of things. And finally, we give thanks to the energy of the earth for giving us the understanding of how to draw on the abundance that is present in life and to participate in that cycling of energy and to build for ourselves a sense of home, a sense of hearth, a sense of place, a sense of knowing where we stand and what we really live for and to do this in a way that has an openness of the heart. That calls out to the other to join us at our table. That says, yes, stranger, we will feed you. And in exchange, we ask you to share with us your stories. Share with us who you are, that we might be challenged to grow into a fuller and better version of who we are. And so... With this use of the earth energy in our body to develop ourselves as better people, more humane, uh, larger in the heart, let us draw the energy of the earth up to the heart and from the heart to the mind and extend this energy up and out through the sky above and whatever weather it holds, out through the atmosphere and all the way up into the highest power of the universe, reaching all the way up. And by whatever name you know that energy, name it. See yourself in it and it in you and begin to draw this energy down. Drawing into yourself, drawing into your day, drawing into these proceedings, the essence energy of blessing. Blessings and protection. And from protection, commitment, devotion. And ultimately connecting into the generosity and benevolence, the beneficence of our universe and drawing in all the wisdom of the cosmos, drawing these energies in that they might illuminate and inspire us. We draw these energies in, through, down through all the layers of the sky, into our heads, into our hearts, into our bellies, and send it all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we are a place here on the face of the earth where earth and sky come together, these two great legendary lovers. And we ask this energy of this big love to dance within us and awaken the spirit of the heart. And so we call out to the spirit of the heart to open, to become the crucible of transformation that you are, this magical place, this very special place within each of us that can draw up the fiery passions of the belly and down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these two energies dance together in a way that provokes from the dynamic tension of two such different energies that this provokes the creation and the birth of the understanding, the feeling, the sense of why we are here. And may you find in that luscious human heart of yours the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts to the world. And we give great gratitude for all of these energies gathered round, above and below and around us, and that which connects us. And we also give great gratitude to Deb and David, to Nance, to David M., Maria, Calathea and Amber, and to all of you who have been able to donate financially to help to keep the show on the air. We have such gratitude to you all 
um, for, for your generosity and for your willingness um, to offer in this way. So the show is available for those who simply cannot. And it always is interesting to me when I receive emails of gratitude for all of this free resource but it's interesting i can tell the difference between the people that believe this is free meaning they there's no exchange that they need to offer and that's different from the emails i receive from people that do recognize that this is about the great cycling of energy in life that there is always an exchange if we are going to be in right relationship with the things that matter and right relationship with even the things that are hard on our heart. We must learn to be in right relationship with all these things. So if this show moves you in any way, know you've been moved in the heart. And let that motivation in the heart motivate your action. For this is the fundamental basis, baseline of shamanic action. And if you are not able to donate financially to the show, please do something to help the show to grow, to help the teachings to grow. Use them in your life. Bring them to your journey circle. Use them to invigorate or inspire your own practice. But use them in some way so that the show grows and continues in this great cycle of energy for those of you that don't seem to know how can you be listening to the show and not know but anyway a lot of you don't know the show has its own website it's whyshamanismnow.com you can get to all of the shows they are free just like they're free on itunes and you also are able to donate there any amount large or small and all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air and many of you have begun to discover that you can use your through your own paypal account you can set up monthly recurring payments and then it's um automatic and you don't even have to think about it so thank you all Thank you for helping me, and thank you to CoCreatorNetwork.com for its ongoing um, and ever-so-joyful support. So today we are live. If you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from Co-CreatorNetwork.com from their site. There's a button there. Or you can simply email me at Christina at LastMaskCenter.org. And... Uh, For those of you that have been asking, yes, the calendar on the Last Mask Center website is current at the moment for the classes that will be offered this year. And for the classes um, we are sponsoring here at Last Mask Center, you can register. um, No, that's right. Those buttons aren't set up. Anyway, you will be able to register through the website. If you received an email from us, you can register through the email. Um, and if you'd like to receive emails about classes from us, you need to let us know. Because those of you that just want to be on the e-card list are only on the e-card list. If you want to be finding out about classes and other resources, then you need to ask us to be on the mailing list. Because we don't want to send you stuff you don't want. Okay. So today, our topic is spiritual bypass and shamanism. So in 1984, <laughs> I just graduated from college, uh, high school college no college anyway in 1984 john wellwood was already deeply in his spiritual practice and coined the term spiritual bypass to describe a process he saw happening in in himself but also in the buddhist community that he was part of and what he said about spiritual bypass is that although most of us were sincerely trying to work on ourselves i noticed a widespread tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues psychological wounds and unfinished developmental tasks meaning maturation 
personal development. Uh, when we are spiritually bypassing, he says, we often use the goal of awakening or liberation to rationalize what I call premature transcendence, trying to rise above the raw and messy side of our humanness before we have fully faced and made peace with it. And then we tend to use absolute truth to disparage or dismiss relative human feelings, human needs, psychological problems, relational difficulties, and developmental deficits. So 30 years later, I would say we're still doing this and mostly not talking about it. We do talk about it here on this show quite often. Um, We look at how shamanic practice can be used and misused um, and how it is being misused. And this is partly what is unique about the show is we're willing to look at our mess and figure out how to clean it up instead of pretending it's not there. So any spiritual practice can be misused as a spiritual bypass, including your shamanic practice. Any spiritual practice is power and any power can be abused. It is an abuse of power, the power of the spiritual practice, to use it to jump to spirit prematurely in an effort to avoid the challenges of life in the body, of painful emotions, or emotions we believe will be painful. Since we're not feeling them, how would we know? Anyway, um, but also to avoid the unresolved events from the past or simply to avoid our responsibility to do what is uniquely ours to do with this life. The world needs our gifts. Our gifts require that we engage in our whole life, our whole self, with its messy emotions and unresolved past events and things that must be reconciled in a new way. So John Wellwood explains that trying to move beyond our psychological and emotional issues by sidestepping them is dangerous. It sets up a debilitating split between what he calls the Buddha and the human within us. And it leads to a conceptual one-sided kind of spirituality where one pole of life is elevated at the expense of its opposite. Absolute truth is favored over relative truth. The impersonal over the personal, emptiness over form, and transcendence over embodiment, and detachment over feeling. Now, Sandra Inkerman spoke about the same issue, actually using different words in December, when she was talking about taking shamanism out of the box contemporary practitioners have put it in. So in other words, what these much-loved teachers are telling us is that bypassing the psycho-emotional patterns we need uh, to address causes separation or creates separation. Yes, creates separation. So to be very clear here, what this means is that you are using your spiritual practice to amplify and enhance the lie of separation within you, not to heal it. So, you're, so the, the hypocrisy in that, of course, is that you, we go to these spiritual practices to find our way into the oneness. And yet the spiritual bypass inherent in these practices is, is further um, enhancing this lie of separation. And so we are not healing that wound. When we are doing this, we are actually creating it, propagating it. 
So the important thing from my perspective, I mean, all of that's important, but I would take it one step further, which is this also then separates you further from knowing and feeling your gifts. Because your gifts, those which you bring into this world and those which you are here to gain, but in particular, the gifts you are here to uniquely bring come out of the journey of you being here in physical form. You know, I was just with my community in our annual community gathering, and we've been doing a great deal of work over the over the solstice, this month between solstice and the gathering to look at our community shadows, things we were shadow energies we were in collectively, and to tap into the intimacy necessary to move out of those shadow patterns. And we're working on this together as a community. And the other piece of that is then if I'm stepping into shadow, then I'm doing that instead of some aspect of my authenticity. And so we were looking at the authenticity and dancing the authenticity. And, you know, in this dance around um, feeling and embodying these this authenticity energy, not yet knowing what it meant as gifts, but simply to dance the energy so that we could know it and remember it. We were talking about really feeling the soul's longing to do what it came here to do, that the soul has this need. And out of this, this, this dance came this, this guidance in this long moving meditation, which all these dances are, is that, you know, if the angels could do these things, they would have. If the titans, the gods, the goddesses could do these things, they would have. If God, as people refer to that in the contemporary world, could do it, God would have. That the unique genius you bring into the world can only be expressed through a human body. And if you've ever noticed, you know, the angels don't have genitalia. You know, bummer for them. You know, we have passions, we have needs, we have desires. And learning to be fully human is necessary for us to learn to feel that most essential need of the soul to live its soul's purpose. And so these spiritual practices are critical in helping us to become good humans so that we become this vessel to bring our gifts to the world. So the most important thing to me about the separation that gets enhanced and cultivated through this sort of spiritual bypass version of spiritual practice is, is that we, we create this separation from knowing and feeling our gifts. You can't be in this sort of idyllic, uh, image of your soul as something that is is freed from your body like the angels and has no genitalia that your soul chose human for a reason not to avoid it not to get out of it but to get into it and to use your humanity and your human heart to do what you've come here to do so spiritual bypass and shamanism appears in many ways At the simplest level, it occurs when we just simply choose not to journey about the challenges of life, about the painful emotions, about the unresolved events from the past. Instead, we journey about how to feel better or we journey about whatever came up in the monthly journey circle. Now, this is not that simply journeying and going to a monthly journey circle isn't a great way to start. It is a great way to start. But journeying is a question-based practice 
So if you do not ask the questions that dive into these things about your emotional body and your physical body, your health and well-being in your life, your balance in your life, the stress in your life, if you're not journeying about those things to understand their source and to transform yourself because the source is, of course, within you. If you're not doing that, then you are bypassing at the very most basic level of shamanism of shamanic practice and so it's really all about the structure of your questions and so even in my basic journey class when I talk to people about structuring questions I talk with them about how important it is to not just journey about the fear but what is the true nature of the fear What is the source of that fear? To keep getting at the deeper and deeper levels, to not just journey about how do I feel better, how do I not be afraid, but why am I afraid in the first place? Why am I suffering around this? Why am I unable to have healthy boundaries in this particular situation? Why am I unable to be grounded at all? You know, these are important questions to dive into. And any basic journeyer can begin to ask those questions and to receive answers from spirit to incorporate it into their daily practices to change. So, so even the most basic shamanic practice doesn't have to stay superficial in that sort of bypass realm where we're just exploring how cool things are out there in shaman land. They are, but that's not the reason that the helping spirits come to us. So at a more developmental level, spiritual bypass happens, um, well, still in many ways, but one of them is, for example, when we engage in a course of study, quote unquote, to become shamans, Right, And we start learning skills and doing quote-unquote initiation rituals of one kind or another. And we simply do not address deeply or consistently our own pain or suffering. That our own path of healing isn't guiding us through our training to become healers. It's this external course of study. And particularly when it's an external course of study in an entirely different culture. That it's just applied on the top. It's like frosting on the cake and nobody realizes, you know, the cake's got things in it that really need to be addressed. So the thing is, we get to avoid asking. We get to avoid asking questions that wouldn't be asked, for example, in a traditional culture like, why am I not initiated already? Why have the spirits not come to me in my life and already initiated me, right? So there's a lot of questions we could be asking that would deepen our practice. It's very easy to avoid. And so in my own, uh, with my own students, uh, to avoid this very, very easy thing to do in shamanism because it's a question-driven pra- practice And you don't get answers to things you don't ask questions about. It's very simple to avoid. So to not get into this, I don't encourage students um, to simply journey and go to a monthly journey circle. I don't encourage them to think that that's enough. That I encourage them to develop a relationship with the helping spirits that show up, even in their basic journey class. And then this leads, um, in my more formal teachings, to what we would call a daily altar practice. And I talk about this on the show all the time. And so this is where the cultivation of your relationship with your helping spirits 
and the cultivation of your relationship with yourself come together is in that daily altar practice. And then it gets grounded in your relationship with the spirits of the land or the spirits of your home. And so the the basis then in shamanic practice, from my perspective, that helps us begin to avoid the ease of spiritual bypass in, in shamanic work is to not have it be a journey-based practice, but have it be an altar-based practice that's, that's based on you cultivating your relationship with the spirits that are coming to you through your actions daily. And in, in uh, that would be best if it was held in a cosmology. And all of that also needs to include um, some sense of yourself as an energy being as part of that altar practice. So these things all need to go together. Um, and this is one of the uniquenesses in studying the cycle teachings versus learning to be a shaman in 18 months somewhere or even studying with another culture is that we're really looking at um, – what other practices necessary for a contemporary person to truly engage in a shamanic life in this contemporary world? And that requires that this path where there's waking up and growing up. There's waking up through your chosen spiritual practice, which is shamanic in this case. And then there's growing up, which is this personal practice and that they all come together at the altar, in the cultivation of your relationships, in your grounding of those relationships in your body and in your life. And so shamanic practice is all about the quality of relationships. So it's about the quality of relationships that we cultivate with ourselves. It's about the quality of relationships we cultivate with our helping spirits. The quality of the relationship we cultivate with our environment, the immediate environment, the spirits of the land right where you live, whether you live in an urban environment or out in the middle of nowhere, right? That the relationship you cultivate with your environment matters. There are always spirits inherent in your environment. It's about the quality of your relationship with your soul's purpose, the quality of your relationship with other living things. I mean, all, all shamanism is all about the cultivation of a particular quality of relationship. And so most of us jump into any of our spiritual practices with the quality of relationship that is precisely what we learned in our family of origin, which for most of us is um, codependent, enabling, addictive, some setup of that. And so the job of engaging in a spiritual practice or the job of the spiritual practice that you engage in is to help you, you personally to mature, to develop, to grow up enough to begin to engage in a different quality of relationship with all of these other energies in your life. Okay, so John Wellwood, back to John. So John Wellwood continues to explain that nowhere uh, is spiritual bypass more damaging than in relationships because it's in relationships that our unresolved psychological issues tend to show up most intensely. So what he says is if you're a yogi in a cave doing years of solo retreat, your psychological wounding might not show up so much. Because your focus would be entirely on your practice in an environment that may not aggravate your relational wounds. I mean, who's there to 
uh, push your buttons, but the cave, right? <laughs> John didn't say that. I did. Okay. So anyway, John says it's in relationships that our unresolved psychological issues tend to show up most intensely. And that's because psychological wounds are always relational. They form in and through our relationship with our early caretakers. He continues that the basic human wound, which is prevalent in the modern world, forms not forms around not feeling loved or intrinsically lovable as we are. Inadequate love or attunement is shocking and traumatic for a child's developing and highly sensitive nervous system. So as we internalize how we were parented, our capacity to value others, which is also the basis. Uh, oh, sorry. Let me try that again. As we internalize how we are parented, our capacity to value ourselves, which is also the basis for valuing others, becomes damaged. So John calls this the relational wound or the wound of the heart. So the simple truth is, is that we need to stop going to our spiritual practices to feel better, to numb out the wound of the heart, or to make ourselves feel lovable or whole by jumping over the fact that we don't feel that way. We need to go into our practices to discover why we feel the way that we do, not avoid it. We need to explore who in us made that original choice or developed originally developed that belief that we are unlovable and we need to free that self from from the responsibility of holding that and we need to find the courage to make a new choice and then we need to stick to that new choice until that becomes the new normal now this is one of the strengths that i see in many um, spiritual practices like meditation tai chi some forms of yoga the meditative forms of yoga where there is repetition is it helps us stick to a new thing and repeat it day after day until it becomes a new way this is a great weakness i see in most people's shamanic practices is there's no no practice there's just journeys there's no energetic practice i guess i would say and so there's there's not this um daily coming back to the repetition that allows a transformation that we have made within ourselves to become established as the new energy pattern and this is why in the cycle teachings the four-year training that the shamanic skills and the personal work skills develop hand in hand it's not one or the other and after the first workshop, we lose 50% of the people. Well, not 50. This year it was only 30% of the people, one-third of the people, because they, don't, they want the shamanism, but they don't want the personal work. And one of the uniquenesses in the cycle teachings is we're very aware of spiritual bypass. We're very aware of wasting our time and energy going around in circles, avoiding what needs to be done. And we're not willing to do that, that our community around these teachings values being the people who want to look, who are curious, who want to understand why, and have the courage to feel the feelings necessary to do so. So if you're wondering what's unique about the cycle teachings as a, as a path of shamanic learning, that's the primary uniqueness. It's not that people can't do spiritual bypass because anybody can, but they won't be happy in this community and they choose to move on. They choose to go elsewhere because it is part of the commitments renew, we renew every time we come together that we are the people choosing to look. 
and to be curious and to not be judgmental about it and to be excited to discover um, what it is that that is at the root of our suffering, at the root of our pain, at the root of our fears, that these are this is interesting work. And that's that's the values, the attitude that we cultivate in the cycle work. So the challenge that I have with the term spiritual bypass is that it is hard to use it without sounding judgmental. So that spin on it alone makes it something people don't want to find in themselves or in their spiritual practice. I don't bypass. You do, but I don't. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, because it's, it's, it's got a negative connotation and that's, it's an accurate term. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. It is a very accurate descriptive term about what is going on. The problem with it for me is that it's just really hard to use without the judgment. And, and as I was just saying in my community, I want people to want to look. And so it's very hard to convince someone to want to look at their spiritual bypass. <laughs> so they don't want to find themselves in spiritual bypass. So what I'd like to share is how another teacher I've had uh, spoke about the same idea and that this allowed me to be much more willing to look at the, not only look for this inside myself, but to find it. I mean, of course, that's more important, right, is to actually find where we are doing it. Um, and so this was a Qigong teacher that I had for a while, and he often spoke of spiritual ambition and the need for us to disengage from spiritual ambition and to take the small vulnerable steps. And so by this, he meant cultivating in us, in us the willingness to be true with yourself and to be your true self no matter what you're finding there. And then based on what you find, to be willing to be in that vulnerability and take the small steps out instead of wanting to leap out into some idealized place that doesn't feel so uncomfortable. And this, this, this dynamic, also because it was presented in this Taoistic frame of this complementary dualism, these ideas always sit better with me, that I am simply Taoistic at heart. And what I like about it, uh, Taoism and complementary dualism, is it frees us from judgment. And what I find about shamanic practice and actually any spiritual practice is it doesn't really operate very well in the mindset of judgment. That these practices operate, they all emerge out of belief systems that were fundamentally non-judgmental. So the issue for me then, uh, for myself, but then also as a teacher, is to find ways to help us want to go into the most challenging things that humans face in life. And part of that for me has been seeing things in this more Taoistic perspective. Um, so this teacher spoke about um, spiritual ambition or the act of using your spiritual practice to will yourself into an idealized state of being. And in this, he was really talking about spiritual bypass, to simply use your spiritual practice to maintain a denial and a looking away from that which is going on deeper within you. So he spoke of spiritual ambition as a state of excessive and false yang. 
And so the remedy for this, because excessive and false yang means you got a bunch of energy in, in a problematic position. So you've got a ton of resources. You just need to redeploy them. That's the beauty of it from my perspective. So I'm thinking, okay, I got a ton of excessive and false yang. So it's energy that simply needs to be transformed. And so the remedy for this is to sink all of that yang energy as the, as a resource into the yin. And in doing so, you then discover all those feelings, all that psychological wounding, all those challenges and being a human in a body and all that wrestling you're doing with your part of yourself that knows what your gifts are. So as you dive into the yin and discover the feelings there and then based on the feelings that you find, you discover that, that you find there then to take the small vulnerable steps to attend to whatever it is that you find, to not judge it, to not say I already did that, to not go through any machinations, just be with it and then take the steps. And I'm going to talk about what it means to take the steps because that's not as simple as it sounds. But from a functional standpoint, that's what we're talking about, is noticing the spiritual ambition, recognizing it as a resource that needs to be redeployed, sinking it into the yin, connecting with the feelings that are found there, and then beginning to take the small and always vulnerable steps out of that place into true accountability to yourself, true dependability. It makes you a truly trustworthy person to yourself which restores your integrity and your impeccability. You begin to believe in yourself. And frankly, you're helping spirits begin to believe in you. And, and everything begins to take off. So anyway, taking these small vulnerable steps that unfold happened through the humility, the humble day-by-day steps of the discipline of your practice, whatever practice you have chosen. And the steps that unfold then in using your practice to be in these vulnerable steps and deal with your feelings then leads you on the the actual path that you need to go on to true spiritual maturity. Instead of leaping there through spiritual ambition to actually get there humbly step by step, which is actually the only real path. Real as in it's really going to get you there. Okay, so there's another growing problem that I see because of the prevalence of spiritual ambition in spiritual practice in the Western world, excuse me, specifically in America, uh, which is all I can really talk about with authority. So there is a tendency because of this spiritual ambition found in spiritual practice to dismiss all spirituality as bypass. And I hear this in the words of those who have come to the human potential party kind of late, right? Like just now. Uh, Those who look at what has been done for thousands of years as woo-woo and dismiss the past traditions because it's not new. Like Charles last week talked about newness. And then I also see this happening for those who come from intellectual backgrounds first. So they come from academia or from philosophy and they come into this awareness of where we are and what we really need to be doing and that we are all connected and all that stuff. But, But they come out of this intellectual background and they think they just invented it when actually they've only discovered again what's already known. 
And so there's a tendency in these many of these groups of people to dismiss spirituality whole hog as a bypass. And this is because they have not discovered through their own practice the difference between these ancient practices as they were given to us to engage in and the easy American consumer version of these practices, which is frankly dumbed down and the discomfort is largely removed. And I, I can tell you as someone who has been endeavoring to, to bring a set of teachings around shamanism out in the world exactly in the right time when everybody and their uncle was running off to do shamanic practices, I cannot tell you how often um, institutions that wanted to support me told me they couldn't because I wasn't willing to change the teachings so that they would be easier for contemporary people and would not cause such discomfort. So people would want to do it more. And so that's important to understand through the 25 years of my teaching to date, I have received constant pressure from institutions that would like to support me, but can't because I'm not marketable enough because what I offer is simply too challenging that it makes you look. It doesn't offer spiritual bypass. So consider that as you're looking out there in the world and realizing every teacher is met with that pressure from the institutions and the organizations that we need to support us in doing our work out in the world. So understand that, that this dismissal of spirituality as bypass is equally wrong-minded, um, but the prevalence of bypassing does make it harder to show that spiritual practices do give us something deep and true and grounded in reality. In short, the prevalence of bypassing makes us hard for us to show that spiritual practices are practical. And that they are an effective means of exploring, unfolding, and transforming the woundedness in our contemporary lives. So if you really believe in your spiritual practice, shamanism or otherwise, stop bypassing. The most important thing you could do right now if you are committed to some kind of practice is look for where you bypass. I mean the beautiful thing about John Wellwood's writing about this is he was talking about himself too. I'm talking about myself too is this has to stop so that we can, those of us who are in this, these practices, so we can show this is how this practice really works. This is how a contemporary person does this. Or another way to look at it is this spiritual practice does this, which is what John was saying about his Buddhism. And you need along with it to do something that will grow you up, some sort of attention into your psychological, psycho-emotional development. Okay. So this has been on my mind mostly because I was reading uh, Charles Eisenstein's book, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. Um, and he was on the show last week. And there's a chapter in the book on force. And um, this chapter explores the old story idea that to make things happen is to use some kind of force. And Charles suggests that there are other ways of initiating change and that as we go forward, we will discover them. Well, yes. And as shamanic practitioners, we are already well-versed in the practices of initiating change without force. This is not a new idea. You know, Charles didn't just invent this. 
Not that he's saying that he did, but you all need to understand Charles didn't just invent this, that this wheel has already been invented all over the globe in many beautiful ways as very old and continued practices of shamanic peoples. I mean, let's just grab one thing out of the clear blue sky of shamanism. Let's take a despacho ceremony, for example. This is an Andean tradition um, that is important for beginnings. And the beginnings of things often involve a despacho ceremony. Despacho translated basically means sending. And so a despacho ceremony is a message. It's a way to send a message to the invisible world that we're finally beginning. This is what we're beginning. Please help us. And I can't tell you the challenge in my own community. How often saying we're beginning something and I have to say, whoa, stop, wait a minute. You all need to go back and start with spirit and from that go forward. It's the same idea embedded in shamanic cultures all over the world. Not a new idea, but more importantly, we don't need to invent new ways to do this going forward. This is precisely what is important about drawing out of these shamanic traditions is they know so many beautiful ways to begin to initiate things in the world without force. So in his book, uh, Charles offers up the story of interbeing, which is very familiar to anybody working in a shamanic cosmology as it speaks to understanding that we're all interconnected and given that this is how we need to choose to act um, given this sort of fundamental truth of interbeing. So Charles um, says in that chapter on force that the same interbeingness that makes us so immensely vulnerable also makes us immensely powerful. The vulnerability and the power go hand in hand because only by relaxing the guard of the separate self can we tap into the power beyond that keen or beyond its keen. Only then can we accomplish things that are to the separate self impossible. Put another way, uh, we become capable of things we don't know how to make happen. Completely valid. And anyone who has a shamanic journeying practice knows how to do this already. To journey is to relax the guard of the separate self. To enter into relationship with our helping spirits. To enter into relationship with the invisible world in such a way that we remain task-oriented. Which is very different from a meditation practice. Shamanic skills are are unique in their focus on being task-oriented. So relaxing the guard of the separate self, entering into relationship with the invisible world in a way that we can tap the powers that are out of our reach normally and to ask for assistance in how we move things forward without force. So every journey then continues to cultivate this state of being in power and in vulnerability and understanding that these two at their best go hand in hand. And so again, wheel already invented, people already practicing. I mean, Michael Harner has taught thousands of people and, and the Foundation for Shamanic Studies has taught thousands of people around the world how to journey. And many of them don't know what to do with their capacity to journey because they're not really called to be shamans. So what do you do with it? Well, one great thing is Sandy's Medicine for the Earth work. But this is another thing to understand. If you know how to journey, you are already prepared to go forward in life, uh, ready to begin to create things in a new way, in a way that is not force. And so, you know, 
like I said, people new to the Human Potential Party, some of us have been here for a while. Some people have been here for tens of thousands of years. Lots of these things still work really well. So most days, there is at least one thing that needs to happen that feels impossible in my life, at least one. And that thought, this is impossible, translates now directly into the next thought, then I need to journey. And that's when you truly become a shamanic practitioner. When you don't thrash around and, oh my God, this is impossible, I'll never be able to do it. You don't even, you don't even whine, not for a moment. But the thought, this is impossible, triggers the thought, then I need to journey. Because if it's impossible, I need spirit's help with it. How do I begin to initiate this? without force so shamanic practice is largely about the art of effective and intentional connection with the larger beingness of all life and so many of the most basic practices of humanity's most endearing uh, in sorry enduring they're endearing too but the most enduring spiritual disciplines exist precisely to do two things engage us in the reality of our interbeingness Um, from which we see and experience things differently. We see the problems differently. So, of course, we see the solutions differently. And these uh, practices exist for the second reason is to take us to the original moments within ourselves where we chose separation and to allow us the plasticity to choose anew. You know, shamanism is a felt practice in, in in its true state. Shamanism is a felt practice. It requires intimacy and vulnerability to perform the practices um, as well as courage and cleverness. It requires a robust and responsive relationship with one's own feelings. So while people do use shamanism as a spiritual bypass, the bypass itself actually renders shamanism shallow and ineffective. And this is what Sandy was talking about. One of the great gifts of shamanic practice is that it puts us in connection with our feeling body and our emotional body if we will allow that. And John Wellwood explains that feeling is a form of intelligence. And shamanic practice, well, John didn't say this, but I would say shamanic practices are designed to allow us to tap that intelligence. So what John says is feeling is a form of intelligence. It's the body's direct, holistic, intuitive way of knowing and responding. It is highly attuned and intelligent, and it takes account of many factors all at once, unlike our conceptual mind, which can only process one thing at a time. Unlike reactivity that is directed outward, feeling often helps you to contact deeper inner truths. So if we jump ahead a little bit to 2010, a man named Robert Augustus Masters wrote a book called Spiritual Bypassing, When Spirituality Disconnects Us from What Really Matters. And you can find um, an essay excerpted from this book at um, uh, Reality Sandwich on that website. So in this, he says that spiritual bypassing distances us not only from our pain and difficult personal issues, but also from our own authentic spirituality, stranding us in a meta metaphysical limbo a zone of exaggerated gentleness niceness and superficiality it frequently disconnects us Um, disconnected nature keeps it adrift clinging to the life jacket of its self-conferred spiritual credentials as such it maroons us from embodying our full humanity and this is what i mean by your gifts require 
your whole humanity. You, you, you can't be marooned from embodying your full humanity. It's absolutely necessary to bring your gifts to the world. So Masters continues that um, valuable as the desire for more authentic spirituality is, such change will not occur on any significant scale and really take root until spiritual bypassing is outgrown. And that is not as easy as it might sound. For it asks that we cease turning away from our pain, numbing ourselves, and expecting spirituality to make us feel better. Master says each approach has its own value, if only to eventually propel us into a deeper direction. And each, as far from, uh, and each is far from immune to being possessed by spiritual bypassing, especially when we are still hoping, whatever our depth of spiritual practice, to reach a state of immunity to suffering, both personal and collective. And so this is the piece that I, 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 I like about this, this work, Master's work, is that we do not engage in shamanism to feel better. And a lot of people do. We engage in shamanism to bring our gifts to the world. And that's going to be a prickly process. There is going to be discomfort because you are going to be manifesting something in the world that the world has never known. And right now, the world is a bit grumpy about change. So Masters talks about drive-through uh, servings of reheated wisdom. <clears throat> and that so basically, it's what he means by that is these spiritual truths that begin to be thrown around in this sort of superficial spiritual world of spiritual bypassing. And what happens is we then lose um, the meaning of these phrases like don't take it personally or it's all just an illusion. We lose what that really means as a spiritual teaching. And I feel Masters is correct. To truly cease turning away from our pain is not as easy as it sounds, especially in a world in which the dominant healthcare system encourages you to turn away from your pain, to mask your symptoms, and to numb out as the prescribed path of quote unquote healing. So you're swimming upstream, but there isn't any other stream to be in. So in my interview with Charles uh, last week about the story of interbeing and the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, we were talking about how to make it happen. And I had hoped for a deep and rich conversation here about the hows. Because as a shamanic practitioner, I've got some wheels there. You know, I've spent my entire adult life to understanding how do we do this. Um, but the show didn't go there. You know, so in Charles's book... He suggests that the first steps to creating this kind of change into the world our hearts know is possible. That there are three steps. That the first step is to receive a vision that feels true. To not create one, like the secret says, but to receive one. And then to heal the wounds and doubts that that vision illuminates. So as you hold that vision, you've received what comes up. And to heal what comes up. And then to bow into service to that which wants to be born. So in other words, you can't go from the vision you've received and bow into service of what needs to be born without dealing with what that new vision brings up in you. Or you'll simply um, create a new version of the old pattern. That is necessary to go in to what the new vision agitates within you. 
So having been in the work of healing the wounds and the doubts of hundreds of people, including myself, for half of my adult life, I echo masters. It is not as easy as it sounds to heal the wounds and doubts that the vision illuminates. Not that we can't, but it's not that simple. You know, and, and, and hello, people have been at the human potential party for a while here. Some of us deeply understand how to do this. It's not as simple as just brushing it all off as our shadow stuff because it isn't all shadow stuff. In fact, there's a difference between shadow cells, shadow behavior, and shadow patterns. And then there's all the rest of our stuff. So some of us have been at this task for a while based on the practice, and in, in my world, you know, based on the practices of shamanic people. So the truth is we don't know what the wounds and the doubts are until we feel them, until we engage in our practices to get some perspective on what the small vulnerable steps are that will be necessary You know, it's not all shadow stuff. And I hear that far too often. If it's not what my conscious mind wants to do, it's shadow stuff. And that is naive in the worst possible way and ignorant. That that isn't. We have many, many, many different kinds of wounds that arise. And to understand them and to name them properly allows us to respond to them properly, to find the small vulnerable steps. In other words, if we look at purely physically, to treat someone with the measles is very different to treat someone with a broken leg, which is very different to treat someone with asthma, which is different than treating someone with the flu. So we understand that we need to diagnose properly to treat effectively in whatever modal uh, system whatever medical system we're using this is true with all of this other energy you can't just sweep it all into the oh it's shadow stuff box you need to diagnose what you find there the fears the doubts the pains the suffering what you find internally needs to be diagnosed and this is the other strong suit of the cycle teachings it's actually what the cycle teachings are about it's not about teaching people to be shamans it's about teaching people to understand these energies in themselves. What do you find when a human being looks deeply? What do you find? How do you diagnose it correctly? And what do you apply to it to transform it efficiently and effectively? That is what the cycle is about. And once you know that for yourself, learning to do shamanic healing is simplistic because you actually understand the mechanisms of what is really going on energetically. So this is the strong suit of the cycle teachings. So what I mean by this is in the first year, you're learning about how you clear the wounds, the suffering, the fears, the whatever that you carry because of the stories that you carry in your body. And this is about learning to transform things through death and it involves also understanding how soul loss functions in our life, how, how intrusions function in our life, and how to deal with that. But also it, it is a lot to do about boundaries and your energy body because it's about the stories, the false stories you carry in your body. So once we have that platform, we can begin now to understand what is actually shadow. And that's the second year. Because we've got some purchase from the first year, we actually can have the courage 
to face our greater fears and our deeper judgments that we carry that have shoved these energies into the shadow in the first place. And we learn how to go into the shadow and draw these energies out and to transform them through love. And you can't transform shadow energies through death. You have to transform them through love. You have to understand that there is a relationship first with an enemy and that enemy must be transformed into an ally. And then these two years support the ability to come in the third year to confront the lie of separation and all the stories spun in your life from that lie and to restore your original relationship with divine energy as you, as nature, as earth, as sky, as everything, as the, the oneness, as that thing that knowledge can't eat. And so it's to restore a shamanic relationship with oneness, with divine energy, and to restore our deep and childhood understanding that we are not separate, not from God, not from nature, not from our body, not from anything. And then how do you clear all that you carry that is contrary to that deep, deep knowing? And then finally, in the fourth year, we learn to discern the stories um, that we carry in our mind that occludes our true dreams and visions and allows us to receive those, to be connected into the big dreaming and to dream with the big dreaming and to receive the visions of what it is we are called to bring into the world. What is our uniqueness? What is the genius that we carry? And so these are the teachings of the fourth year. And so my point is, yes. We do need to feel the fear, the pain, the psycho-emotional trauma, the things that arise as we engage in our spiritual work. Yes, we need to feel them and we need to diagnose them correctly and understand the path of transformation. Understand the small vulnerable steps that take us back into accountability with ourself, into trust and dependability with our true self which restores our integrity and impeccability in the world. So I'd like to give thanks to the ancestral spirits who hold these teachings and have helped me to have anything useful to say to you today. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and to the heart that unites us all. I have great, great gratitude for all of the helping spirits that have helped me uh, throughout my life now and and that which is to come. So next week, our guest is Joe Tafur, MD. He is an integrative family physician and shaman's apprentice. Joe is also uh, is currently apprenticing under Maestro Ricardo Amaringo and assisting in ayahuasca ceremony and all other aspects of treatment at Niwi Row, uh, a traditional healing center he co-founded in the Amazonian rainforest in Iquitos, Peru. Um, this was this center was established in 2011, and they offer traditional healing there. And next week we have the joy of speaking with Joe and why he is both an MD and training to be a shaman. And the basic response he says is to dismiss anything that works in and of itself is not practical. So thank you everyone for listening this week. Have a great week. <laughs> 